Welcome to the Alternative Upstage podcast. This is going to be the first episode with Kevin Garcia from Free Throw. Uh, for a pilot episode, I was really, really glad that I got to interview Kevin as, uh, as somebody I've toured with, um, who's been a pretty close friend of mine for a while now, and uh, a drummer that I love watch and learn from being able to tour with him uh made these these conversations a little bit easier too and as i said before in the intro podcast i'm i'm not a professional interviewer by any means so having somebody to click with off the bat was a lot easier and we we mainly talk about the band free throw and uh we, we got a bunch of song breakdowns in uh, a couple of points I wanted to uh, expound upon that uh, certain songs that I really, really enjoyed from What's Past This Prologue, Bear Your Mind. And I did forget to mention, this should have been probably the second album that I hit on, was their uh, revisited record. Because um, I've listened to it. Uh, I, I love that EP a lot, but uh, I wanted to focus more on the the records that he was primarily drumming on, and uh, I, I didn't really touch base on that revisited record as much as I probably should have, but we, we got to it at the end. Uh, it, it's kind of a long one, since it was the first one, I wasn't really keeping track of time, but it was really enjoyable, and there's a lot of good stuff in there is not only the drummer for this band but um most of the time i think except when they have a merchandise personnel who is on tour with them who is also tour managing kevin is usually in charge of tour managing and aside from being the tour manager for free throw when they need him to be he is the manager for charmer from michigan we didn't touch on that at all it was kind of unrelated to drums but uh, he is a manager. He's a tour manager. Part of what I know about him is he, his time in school was emphasized on uh, being in band management. And he's a really smart guy with that. He really knows his shit straight up. You know, whether he's playing drums or he's trying to figure out our uh, next hotel situation, he was the, he was the man uh, when we were out on the road. So very creative drummer. And I had a really good time with this. I, I, I really hope you guys enjoy it. Maybe just something to listen to while you're bored at home. But um, thank you for, for tuning in, for deciding to click on this and, and give it a shot. And uh, so I, I'm sure as you start listening to these interviews more and more and more, we're going to get a little bit more comfortable with talking about people. And I, I didn't realize how much studying went into um, you know, talking to these drummers and understanding what they play on certain records. I, I literally go through discographies and and listen and look out for certain songs. And uh, as we get to some of our more complex, uh, progressive drummers in the metal, hardcore, and you know those industries, it's going to be a daunting task, but. I mean, that's the whole reason why I started this project. It makes you better. Definitely makes you better. Studying Kevin especially made me 
you know, sit in my own drums and rethink how I play certain parts. And, you know, I never really, I, I toured with them before and I'd watch them play. And, uh, you know, it's different when you're sitting down in front of somebody and they're telling you what exactly they do and describing how they do that. So, and you'll, you'll even hear where Kevin at some point in this episode says he took uh, inspiration from something that I did. So it's just really cool to be in a situation where not only are you learning from somebody, but they're also learning from you. Very, very interesting stuff. And I had such a good time. I keep saying that. But uh, enough of my rambling. We'll get straight into the episode with Kevin Garcia. You're listening to the Alternative Upstage. Thank you. This is the pilot broadcast. Um, I got Kevin Garcia on with me, one of my my very good friends. And thank you for being here, Kevin. You can Hell announce yeah. yourself. <laughs> uh, and I figure what better way to start this off than with somebody I've not only toured with, but I've lived with. And uh, mm-hmm. it's like a... <laughs> For a short period of time, we live together, but uh, that I've... You know the real me. Yeah. <laughs> we Well, if not from touring, from living from living with each other, yeah. I love the fact that I can edit all of this. I know. <laughs> I want everyone to hear that. Yeah. You have the better mic, too. I want you Good. to know that. <laughs> I deserve You're it. You're going to sound smooth like a fucking smooth. radio host. Um, but yeah, so to get straight into it, um, I know a lot about or I know a decent amount about you uh, joining your band, Free mm-hmm. Throw, and um, how you got into that. Um, but I haven't ever really talked to you about what happened uh, before that, like how you got a start to not only playing drums, but um, touring and all that stuff. But if you want to just take me back to uh, to the very beginning of it, when by what age did you start playing drums? I started playing drums. Uh, I was seven. Okay. Um, I really wanted to play an instrument. I used to like drum on everything, and my my teachers kept telling my parents I was a distraction in class because I was drumming on everything. And so for Christmas one year, my dad got me a kit and to solve the problem, and it made the problem like intensely so worse. worse. <laughs> yeah, I became like even more distraction. I was just maybe had slightly better rhythm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I started around when I was seven. Okay. Um, and the whole deal with my parents was like, you can play drums, but you, ha- you have to take lessons because they wanted to organize the sound that was happening in their house. Right. Not let me just hit shit really Just hard. go for it. They didn't yeah. like try to, because I remember going to um, your parents' house. Was it, what state was that? Connecticut. Uh, yeah. Connecticut. I don't know anything about the Northeast geographically still, but... Uh, it seemed like your dad had like a pretty big music room and stuff. So yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad's a musician. He played bass all like growing up. That's played right. In a bunch of bands. He did. He did something really cool. On did he? Did he do something? Uh, he had a chance to do something really okay, cool. Okay, cool. And it was like this like youth youth group that he played in in Florida. And then they went like national or something oh, touring. Okay. And they asked him to do it, and his dad said hell no. Like, yeah, he was like fifteen or something. So, so he I, ended up playing in bar bands instead. Right. Okay. Which was sick, though. I mean, he was like the 15-year-old playing with a bunch of 40-year-olds and, you know. So it's just like naturally already so supportive of you playing music. But, 
you know, with direction, not just kind of giving you yeah. something. And yeah. Well, he had someone to jam with. Yeah, of course. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So after that, what? So you started when you were seven. You, did you take? So you took formal lessons, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. On drum kit, or did you? Were you like band? And I did drum kit. And then did like the stuff through school. You do like okay. snare drum, and you had to do like you had to learn like xylophone and like the all right that stuff way. first. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Like like orchestra band first. Hell yeah! I don't I don't think in school they let me even get on a drum kit like the end of fifth grade or something like that. Really? Yeah, they wouldn't so let. I was like, there was like ten years old, eleven years old. Yeah, I was like ten or eleven. They wouldn't wow. let any of us get on a kit. <laughs> I um, mean, that makes that makes sense. Yeah, uh, kind of. But it like, does. It makes it makes you a little bit better. Uh, your rudiments get yeah, stronger, but focusing I on fundamentals and yeah. stuff. My ADD yeah. was just firing on all cylinders, though. Like I couldn't, I couldn't stand in front of one Period. snare drum. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Yeah. That's that, that was the reason I never did band in school either. Yeah. But so, so moving on, like past that, when was like the first time you actually got with a group of guys and jammed? So this is a this is a fun one. I, I jammed with my neighbors growing up a bunch. I had two neighbors that liked music. We played together a bunch, and I had a couple other really good friends. But um, the first real band that I played in. Um, I didn't even play drums. I played bass because they had a drummer and they had everything. They, need, they needed a bassist, and I just wanted to be in a band really bad. And I was like, "Well, my dad's got a bass. And he's got a amp. I bet you they'll be borrowing. I can learn how to do this." And I taught myself like a shit little Blink One Eighty Two songs. I'm like, "Yeah, I can play bass." Which, I mean, I, I think I, I think you could give someone a bass and play them one Blink One Eighty Two song, and they could probably figure it out. Uh, so I I didn't play drums in a band for like years because. Every band had a drummer already, um, so I was taking lessons and stuff and practicing, but never performing. I didn't perform with a band on drums until I was like 16. Jeez. And then that band started breaking up, and one of the guitarists, my buddy Wiley, was like, well, I'm starting another band, dude. You should do that with me. I'm like, hell yeah, dude. I can't wait to play drums. He's like, oh, no. Like, my buddy Andy's the drummer. And I was like... <laughs> well, He's like, yeah, you're on bass I was like, what do you need? I was like, well, I can play bass. He's like, no, no, no. My buddy Tim's playing bass. I was like, what do you want me to do? He's like, you can play lead guitar. I was like... No, I can't. <laughs> and I suffered through that for like a year and a half. Well, how old were terrible. you when you did that? 16. 16? Yeah. Wow. You should have figured it out. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I played single <laughs> note leads. Like we did like a cartel cover. Okay. Uh, That's sick. It, it, was, it was fine. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, that band disbanded. And then I joined a group of guys playing drums. It was guys in town. They were all like really, really great musicians. They were a little bit older than me, so it was cool. They asked me if they needed a drummer because they had a like a emo pop punk cover band called the Gentlemen's Club. <laughs> the Gentlemen's Club, wow! And we would do like local shows and do like seven covers, and it was fun. That's how it starts out too. I mean, yeah, lots of, of covers, lots of covers. And one of the guitarists was Coheed except, um, obsessed. Yeah. So there's one set that we actually opened with a Coheed song, and ended with two Coheed songs. <laughs> And a seven-song cover set. I think that counts as like a tribute band. At kind that point. of, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was my first time playing drums and like yeah. know, playing out. It so like your your main uh, influences around that time too were like bands like Coheed, Blink. Uh, would you say, or were there more direct influences? Yeah. Blink's like number one for me. Like okay. <clears throat> I've I've learned to play punk drums because of Travis Barker. For sure. I was a huge Trey Cool fan too. I loved, okay. loved, yeah. loved, loved, loved We've Green talked Day. about your love for Green Day before. It's like yeah. immense. <laughs> it, was the it was the first band that I listened to that my dad liked. Okay. So like, you know, I, I got into like, I listened to a lot of really loud music really early on. So like the, I think the first punk record I bought was Americana by The Offspring and my yeah. parents fucking hated it. And then I bought like, I bought some really shitty stuff too. I bought like Kid Rock and like Limp Bizkit. Oh yeah, Kid Rock. And Corn. <laughs> Know all about Kid Rock. Loved, loved corn. <laughs> but I, I got really into Blink 
early on. I, bought, I think I bought Enemy of the State when it came out in 99. Holy shit. I was like, I was nine years old. And then uh, I bought, I, I think for Christmas one year, my parents bought me Green Day's International Super Hits. Yeah. I had owned uh, Dookie already, but um, I put it on in the car. Like, my dad took me to see Green Day one day. He's like, this band's not bad. And so I put on the Super Hits record, and he's like, this is really good stuff. And I'm like, yeah, they're a great band, Dad. And he's like, got, we should he, we should jam this. <laughs> does he? Uh, can you can you say that he still listens to Green Day all the like, time? Day? That's, yeah, that's amazing. We just did a road trip like five months ago, and he, he was like, "Let's put that Green Day record on." I was it's like, like a "Okay, blast of the past kind of thing." Yeah, it's awesome, man. Yeah, we used wow. to we used to jam Longview together because it had a sick, cool bass part. <laughs> that's sick. Uh, like, uh, nice. So, and then uh, so kind of going into college and stuff. You, I know that you filled in for free throw at some point but how did you how did you meet all the guys i actually never filled in so i met the guys okay. uh the band i played in before uh free throw was called american verse it was a punk band out of uh worcester massachusetts right. I, I went to college in boston lived there for like seven years and uh i played in a band for a while my first touring band was out of boston uh and then i jumped ship from that band to american verse because their drummer left and um we did a tour with free throw in uh 20 13 yeah yeah we did it it was like i think like i think that was free throws first year of touring it was like right when they when we put out like lavender town like that i think that had just come out when we did that tour together and um just getting homies it's like you know when we came through on tour we'd crash at their houses and they would crash with me in boston all the time at my apartment um so i I basically zach left the band they had a fill-in for a couple tours and then they needed a permanent solution and I got a, I was about to finish college and go yeah. find a job somewhere which like were by the way were you trying to tour throughout college too? yes yeah like with with verses yeah cool. I dropped out of college three times a tour really okay yeah and then I just decided I was like oh this is stupid like this isn't working out I'm gonna finish school and I was like about to finish and like go like do like the real world thing and Larry calls me Actually, I was home at my parents' house for Christmas. I was bartending. And I just up at the bar. I'm like, hey, what's up, dude? He's like, hey, man, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, well, right now I'm bartending, but I'm in school. He's like, do you want to move to Nashville and play drums again? And I was like, yeah. Like immediately, <laughs> too. Was it like a no doubt decision where you just like. I was just like, yeah, that sounds sick. Like, yeah. I mean, kind of figure it out. It, it, that was, And it took a few months. You know, I, yeah. we talked a bit. And then I kind of came down and had like a formal tryout, if you will. Yeah. Um, and I, I did two days with them. We like ran through the catalog the first day, and then the second day they they like kind of like wanted to see how I would write with them. I found out that they had gotten together after the first day and decided I was in the band. But after Cor- the first day, but already. Corey wanted to make me sweat, yeah. So he made me go through a whole more another day of uh, writing, and we got hammered. And that night he was like, "By the way, I told everyone you were in the band last night. Just really wanted to <laughs> fuck with you." I was like, God damn! I'm like, cool, I can do whatever that for I like 24 to. hours. Yeah, <laughs> so that's I awesome. Flew back to Boston and then came back down a month later and uh, lived on Larry's couch and started gigging. And went to Europe. Oh yeah, that was the first. That was the first thing that you did with him. Was Europe, right? Uh, Wrecking Ball Festival, then Europe. Yeah. Okay. Which was cool. Co- like cool, you know, like yeah. I had I hadn't toured in two years and I was like, oh, your first show's fucking with Braid. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Sick. That's, that's badass. Was that like one of the biggest shows that you had played already, or were you already playing no, shows like that, like that? that? That was probably it. Like number that's one. That's insane. You're like truly like the epitome of being thrown into something. I like kind of was. It was fun. It was a good show for free throw. Like we got to play day two outside, and like yeah. in front of a bunch of people. It was, it was really cool. Um, I played that set about 
35 BPM too fast. It was so That's nervous. how good a set. There's a video <laughs> on YouTube of us playing Pallet Town from that set, and it's like unreasonably fast. It's hard <laughs> to watch. That's like uh, until you get familiar with a band too. Um, like I do this with my guys. It was like when I f- every single time I've joined a band too, it's like the first uh, couple of shows is just you figuring out when you're going to be comfortable. Like when you can sit yeah. back and you're like confident in what you're playing. So like, and usually that finds it like rears its head when you like play the songs way too fast. It's just kind of like unavoidable yeah. when you go to new projects, especially when you're nervous, especially oh, yeah. if that's like the biggest show that you can say you had played up until that moment. So yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of crazy. I mean, yeah, that was definitely the biggest show I played up to that moment. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. It was cool. I missed that festival. And then straight to Europe. And you probably, had, had, you've probably been to Europe before, right? Or was that your first time? I, I, not musically. I, I yeah. went like once when I was 14 for like a, you know, a little trip kind of thing. I did like a teen tour thing, but no, I had never played, I had never played music in another country. So, um, that was wild. Like that was, that was a weird, it was weird. I'm like moved to Nashville, living on a couch and knew nobody and I had no job. I moved here. I had a job lined up, but like it was going to start for a few months. So I kind of was just like, all right, I'll start practicing with these guys. And then I got on a plane and I was like, I'm playing a show in Germany. This is yeah. wild. So like up until that moment, it was kind of like you were, were, could you say that you were like waiting for something like that to happen? Like had you, you you're saying you had tried it once you dropped out, like you said three times about something like that. Yeah. Like fourth times the charm kind of I, thing. I, I should have had a, a shit. I should be a doctor at this point. How long yeah. I was in school. <laughs> but so like, um, when you had like, cause like three times, give or take is a lot to just kind of be like, okay, like, let me put this, this big, important, uh, you know, diploma on the back burner and let me go and do what I love going back to that. What it, it, I can imagine it had like a hit to your motivation. Uh, how did you get past that? And then, you know, get yourself in the right headspace to give the next thing a shot and so on and so forth. I I've approached it with the mentality that it would be easier to like hold sc- school will always be there. I, yeah. I should go tour right now because you know once I finish school it'd be impossible to do it. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. I was completely wrong. Because going back to school after all that is impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Terrible. Like every time you have to go back, it's harder and harder. Especially when you're like, I think my last year in school, I was uh, I turned twenty five my last semester of college. So I was in class with like nineteen. So until my class I had like nineteen year olds in them. Yeah. I was like 25. I was like the old man in You're class. taking like freshman classes. Like, I wasn't taking freshman classes, but it's like still, I was taking classes with like sophomores and middlers and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, like these kids can't even drink yet. And I remember I, I had my, my last semester, I had like a, like an end of semester project or something like that. And, uh, I remember like being like to a couple of kids in my group, I'm like, Hey, like last day, like we're going to go out for some beers. Let's do it. And they're like, yeah, one we're not 21. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I'm not into that. I was like, why? I'm like, I'm 19. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I forgot. I'm old as shit. Like, your age was showing like really hard yeah. in those, especially in those scenarios. But yeah, yeah, I can imagine that's like, I mean, I'm 21 going back to school. Uh, even for me, after not finishing uh, a two year college or a two year um, technical school mm-hmm. was just like, obsolete like going back is just like yeah but doing that so many times and but because you love this craft enough to 
you know, want to find something that clicks. I'm sure it was relieving when you got the opportunity with free throw. You were like, I'm riding for another one. Yeah. I mean, I, I at that point kind of hung it up. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm done with this. I'll do something else. So like kind of getting like a Hail Mary pass was pretty cool. You know, I was like, okay, I can still do this. Like, uh, you know, I knew I, I was a fan before, you know, I, I, they're friends, but I was also a fan. So I was like, oh, this music's really good. And, you know, they're, these guys want to grind really hard. They had been grinding. Like, I think like, for sure. man, the longest break free throws had since they started touring. It's probably like the, the little bit of time from when they had some fill-ins until I joined, which was like four months, maybe five months until, uh, until this moment too, of course, like what we're going through right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Um, yeah. So like hitting the ground running with that, kind of not being able to look back at the choice of ditching school for the time being uh, to be in a band like Free Throw, that transitions perfectly into the first record that you recorded with them. Mm-hmm. Can you just give like a, you know, a little statement about how, how it was getting into that? And like, I'm sure you felt like there were expectations being uh, the new addition to a band that had fans with expectations to previous sounds what was it like you know starting the writing process and then the recording process for that record yeah i mean it was it was most it was very challenging the band that i had played in before free throw i had replaced a drummer as well um and so you got to kind of become a chameleon a little bit right like you know for so many years i've played my own style wrote my own Mm -hmm. parts and you start like learning other people's parts they might not feel as essentially natural to you um and you're in a live setting you know people expect the drum parts to get changed up a little bit so it's not a big deal um but you know that whole first year with free throw was kind of learning how to write with free throw and you know these guys have been writing for a while playing together for a while um you know they've all been in other bands before free throw together so like it was you know i was definitely the odd man out in that scenario we were very lucky that first practice i came down for we actually wrote weak tables that day yeah uh, and we ended up playing it at Wrecking Ball like a couple weeks later, oh, which was cool. Sick. It was very fast. Um, so we kind of started off early. That was in August of July, August 2016, and we didn't record Bear Your Mind until October of. I'm sorry, that was August 2015. Okay, and we recorded Bear Your Mind in October of 2016. So we had been writing. We wrote that record over the course of like a year. Like, yeah. Like tour, right, 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 tour, right, right. And, and then with it taking another year to come out. Yeah. Like well, we, we were we were looking for a label at the time. Right, we were right. done with our contract with our previous label. Um, sort of. There's a there's always a story behind that one. Uh, <laughs> and um, so like we had been like kind of talking to people, so it kinda just kept getting dragged on and dragged on and dragged on. And so the whole time we're like writing, writing, writing. And we got to a point where we're just like, God, we had a fucking we got to get into a studio. Like we, had, we haven't had a record out since 2014. Yeah, you know we got to make this happen. So, um, it was nice getting to do like you know a couple tours and write yeah. a couple tours and write because I was settling into the old songs a bit more and kind of adapting to them. Right, getting the style down. But you know, I think if you listen to Bear Your Mind and you listen to What's Past is Prologue, you can hear. So the, the entire like you, the comfortable like you got comfortable right or you sat kind of back in the saddle a little bit more. And, right. Um, well, I think there was a big part too with Bear Your Mind was like, I knew the guys didn't want to write another 
all clean guitar, twinkly emo record. They wanted to be a little bit louder, a little bit more aggressive, because live were way heavier than those days gone as recorded. So we wanted to sort of do that. So I think between them wanting to change the sound up a little bit and also learning how to write with me while I did that, kind of all came together to create what happened on Bury Your Mind. There's some things we love about Bury Your Mind. There's some things that we look back and we're like, oh, that's that's not that's not it. And the fans say the same thing about certain stuff. And there's some things we disagree with them on and they disagree with us. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's just how it's it goes. It's a time you stamp, have you, know? your, you have your favorites and then you have like, you know, things that are uh, are overlooked by, um, you know, things that you, which is a lot of notes that I took. I took a lot of notes on uh, Bury Your Mind and Once Past Prologue, just listening notes specifically to like what you're playing on like the transition that you had to undergo, like the obvious transition. And um, with any band, especially at the level of free throw, you know, you're going to get like the fans want to hear more of this, but you want to go in this direction. Um, and like definitely uh, with what's past, uh, I could tell you were, you. it wasn't that you were uncomfortable, but you were getting the feel for the band in the studio. It's, I wouldn't consider it a safe record, but it's like it's strategic, and I could I could hear things that the other guys wanted to try out, directions they wanted to go, and you were encouraging them to go through that and stuff. Uh, yeah, like one thing I do really notice with with you as a drummer, and I wrote this uh, at the beginning. Uh, you're gonna think this is funny. I think you're gonna laugh. Hmm. Uh, Probably. I consider Kevin a player that treads lightly in the most technical way, in the most strategic way. That is how I perceive what you're playing because uh, especially you get a little bit of taste of it from Bury Your Mind, but um, it's you, you your fills are intertwining with guitars constantly. Is that something that and, and specifically like with transitions and stuff? Uh, free throws a very twinkly, uh, I wouldn't say twinkly, but like technical on guitar mm-hmm. type of band. Uh, was that a big change for you going into a band like that to where... You know, it's actually emo- funny you would bring that up because we were talking about, you know, my upbringing musically. Yeah. Having a dad that's a bassist and doing, you know, actual drum lessons, but also having to do the like the middle school, high school, marching band, jazz band, all that. You are trained as a drummer in all of those scenarios. To, you are here to keep rhythm, hold it down. Yeah. You're not here to be flashy. We're not here for solos. We're not here for solos. And, uh, you know, my dad being a bassist, I remember he used to come to my first band's band practice all the time. I played bass and he'd always like look at me and the drummer. Like, he's like, everyone stop playing. Like you guys play that verse together. Like why aren't the kick drum and the bass together? Like, yeah, you got to play together. You guys are the rhythm here kind of thing. And so I've always played drums with the idea of I'm there to, uh, you know, hold it down, you know, create that bass layer and service the song. And so one thing that I noticed when we started writing together, we have three guitarists, yeah. and there's no definitive rhythm guitarist in my band. Right, right. <laughs> you never know. Like exactly. I, I still listen to. There's times I listen to our songs. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck's playing that part, but yeah. it sounds cool. And so, <laughs> I wanted to get get into like letting those guys play their parts and let them breathe a bit, so you could like, you know, I didn't want the drums to over busy it. There's already so much going on. I don't need to do it. And so I was like, all right, well, I'm bearing in mind you can hear it a lot. I really sat back and was like, let's let these guitar parts go. I was like, I'm fire. I just want to, you know, keep it simple and play it. And every once in a while, I'll, you know, do my thing. Um, and I 
I got lit on fire when that record came out because Zach is a phenomenal drummer. No, he's amazing, and he plays amazing some musician. crazy yeah. parts that I still struggle through. And uh, it wasn't like I got lit on fire, but uh, there was a couple Reddit threads where people were like, "Who the fuck is this drummer? Yeah, <laughs> this guy can't play well, fucking dude, I fills." Mean, one thing I noticed especially is like with uh, with Barry Mind, it's like you sat back and you did your job and you allowed the guitars to breathe and do their job, but like. You did your job and you did it well in that Thank scenario. You. Yeah, of course. I mean, but we found a way on what's past though to kind of make the two marry, right? Oh, I let the guitars two. work, but we found ways. I f- I found ways with them, and our producer was very helpful with it too, of like letting like, all right, well, let's do a crate, you know, a really cool, interesting drum part that matches that guitar fill. Yeah, and like let those kind of accent each other. And I've gotten just more and more writing together. I've gotten closer with figuring that out. Yeah. Okay. No, that's it's um, always a work in progress. No, totally. But like you can, yeah, it's a noticeable, no, noticeable difference too between. And what's past this prologue is probably my favorite free throw record to date too. It's just thank you. Yeah, you guys um, constantly dancing with each other uh, instrumentally. Um, but I, I love that record so much. But on Bear Your Mind, even there's parts. I remember when that record came out, listening to it, and. Uh, being also being a fan of the band before, um, you know, living with Larry and all that stuff, I, um, I loved this record, and I s- saw people talking about it and being like, "There's a new drummer." It's like, you know, they're not doing this midwestern emo vibe as hard anymore. But I was like, "This is a good record." Like, you got to take it out on Barry Mind. On Barry Mind, yeah. Mm. It's like you got to take it out of the context of what came before it. It's like bands are meant to progress. They're meant to do different things. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, it's kind of hard to consider yourself improving. And dude, like one song, I do really want to, I'm going to whip it out real quick. Uh, Oh, oh baby. Yeah, dude, we're whipping it out. Uh, Wait on my chest. Um, I love that one. That one's fun. The very last, like, uh, I want to say it's like the last 15 seconds. Ah, the polyrhythm. Dude, that was uh, intense. I mean, like you weren't, like I wouldn't consider this you uh, like holding back. Like this is where you're kind of letting your true color shine. And I think it's the first time on the record besides playing uh, the parts that make sense and are uh, feasible with what's going on that you actually were like, hey, what's up? This is a different vibe that I'm bringing to this table. And yeah, just like I'm going to play it real quick. Yeah. So I love that you brought this one up because that that rhythm at the end, the shuffle, that that originally was like we had written the intro. Me and Justin were jamming, and we had that all together. That ended up being we were going to play the first chorus and like cut out and then come in like with a quick fill and go into that with the bass and drums as a bridge. Okay. And we're like, that's a little out of place, but – we liked the part like, so I think much. early enough in the song. Like yeah. yeah, very early. Yeah, and so we liked the part so much it ended up working for the end of the song really well. Yeah. But the end of it originally just kind of kept playing through that shuffle and then ending, and we recorded it. We were all done in the studio, and I went went through the whole last take, and it was all good. And Brett's like, "What if you flipped that beat a little bit?" I was like, "What the fuck do you mean?" He's like, "Uh, like just flip it on its head, so play it backwards for the last two, uh, 
upside down, I should say, yeah. for the last two bars. And I was like, okay. And I was like, I was like, that's fucking cool. That, so was I had, that like a challenge at first, or were you just kind of like, I know exactly what I'm gonna do right here? I kind of, like, I kind of knew what he was saying. He kind of like sang it to me. Like, I think I can do that. And I figured it out. And I have to give Brett all the credit for that. And for anyone who doesn't understand what I'm saying, Brett Romness was the producer on Bear Your Mind and What's Past His Prologue, and he also plays drums in. I am the Avalanche and okay. the movie Life. He's a very phenomenal drummer yeah. with really cool, Those are tasty ideas. Yeah. Uh, oh, his <laughs> ideas are tasty. Yeah, and, and you, you always hear about those producers who like sometimes they're suggesting stuff in the studio, and you're like, yeah, okay, cool. And you like don't they're just kind of hit there to hit record and like we well, should do your thing. Or, or, or they just they suggest all this shit that you're not into, and you're like, yeah, I'll try it, and it's whatever. Like, I've gotten with Brett like after like the first two or three takes, and he had a couple good ideas. I was like, I can trust this guy. Yeah. And there's never been a time now when he's like suggested something I'm like there's no chance that doesn't make this part better. Yeah, he's like phenomenal, full on just like building on top of oh, what awesome. you've already created. That's I, sick. So biased being able to work with a producer who plays drums. Yeah, no, I mean that's uh, that's an ideal situation yeah. for for. I think it's worse too. than a guitar guy trying to sing a drum line at you. You're like fuck you. you yeah, you, you have don't no know, idea what you're you talking don't, about. You don't know how to play that. <laughs> yeah, just make this talk to this, and you're like, dude, there's, uh, I it's like I get what you're trying to say, but like. Well, I would never look at How Brett and be work? like, all right, asshole, like, you want that idea? Like, get in here and play it. Because he'd be like, okay. <laughs> he'd come <laughs> in and play it better than I could. It's like, yeah, you want me to be featured on your record? I want, like, credit or something on there. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's sick. Okay, yeah, no, that was, um, I think for a while that was uh, definitely my favorite. Uh, uh, Weight on My Chest is, like, one of my favorite songs. Uh, Free Throw has in general. But um, on that record, it was just like, this is such a nice, refreshing uh, kind of bounce in you know, about midway through the record. Um, but I think another big note I have is just how tight you and Justin are on this record and on what's past this prologue. Uh, Justin, the bassist of free throw, uh, uh, just so tight, always connected. Cal Ripken and dead reckoning, um, were big rhythm section songs for me too that I just thought like yeah that was, that was me and Justin clicked really quickly when we started writing like, you know the very first time we started writing together like he likes playing to a drummer and I like clicking with a bassist and it worked like we didn't even have to talk about it, it just we sort of started playing that way I remember like after a couple like writing sessions with them I was like I remember Justin and I were r- ripping a beer on their old back porch and I was like dude like I love locking in with you and he was like yeah dude he's like you're my favorite drummer I've played with he's like you love sitting in the pocket and I was like love that pocket and so it, it's good and like we have a really fun time playing together live too because we just we we vibe well that's sick no that's uh and rhythm is arguably the most important it's the backbone well you especially know? when you got three guitars doing different parts yeah and you also have to play to those guitars too i don't yeah. honestly know how you manage it uh sometimes because it's just there's so much going on in these songs and you manage to complement each and every guitar and bass part, and it's that's just so hard to lock in. Five, I think. five years of learning how exactly, each one of them yeah. plays, you know, that's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, it's a noble task, I feel like. But um, so you guys want to record that record? Do you? And by the way, did you feel like there was a song on that that gave you trouble, or was it? Is, is there a song that you really loved that you wish would have gotten more attention? I mean. You're always going to go in the studio, record a record, and go back and be like, oh, I wish I had fucking done that differently. There's probably way more on this record than on what's past because this record was done. We tracked it in like 11 or 12 days. I did all my drum parts in 23 hours in two days, and I went back and fixed one of them. Um, 
we, we just we only had the A room for like enough days because we were on a budget and yeah. we just had to do what we so had to do. So you'd be like pre prepared, like yeah, a ton. Like yeah. You knew exactly what like you were we didn't even when you do got pre, We did pre pro on the fly. Just kind of like went in, just like went for it. Um, gotcha. There was another band recording at the studio at the time called North Lane from uh, Australia, and they had the A room, the rest of it. So we were downstairs in the B to do everything else. So, um, yeah, I, I mean there were a couple of things that gave me trouble that I I got down. One of them, rinse, repeat. Uh, I didn't realize when we demoed it that I had written a sixteenth note snare buildup that lasted a minute and a half. And I remember, yeah. like, we played the demo to the producer. He's like, "Who's the fucking moron that decided to make the drummer play a minute and a half of sixteenth notes?" You were like, I'm the I was drummer. like, "Yeah, I did." He's like, "Have fun doing that live. It's, it's brutal. It's yeah. not fun at all." Um, that I mean is super fun, but yeah. I'm tired when I do it. Uh, that was a tough one. Uh, I think the most fun I had on that record was Dead Reckoning. Yeah. Um, I've never had a chance to like record drums and not just play my part, but like go in and do like tracks. I think there was like yeah, the overdubs, the yeah, real overdubs on yeah. that were so tasteful. We did like fifty-five drum tracks on that record. listening to a, a darker record at the time that we really enjoyed yeah. and uh we had gotten some really bad news one day we're on our way to practice we got news that like we like lost this tour we'd been fighting for and we're like fuck we really needed that tour kind of thing um we were just like pissed and like the label stuff wasn't working out it was like, really rainy we went to practice we're kind of angry that day and uh jake had been kind of playing that intro guitar part like just kind of jamming i was like keep playing that like we went I went down and started kind of shuffling with it, and the whole song came together like very quickly, and it was yeah. definitely the darkest, angriest free throw song that had been done yet, yeah. um, and it just worked out. Like Corey had been wanting to write about his uh, his grandfather dying like for a long time, just didn't mm-hmm. have the right song for it, and like wasn't ready to do and kind of shit. So it like worked out. We wrote that like dark kind of pissed off song. He was like, "Oh, this is perfect." It is the perfect vibe for that. Yeah. that but is, that's the, awesome. the drum overdubs were the most fun part. That we, we went through a bunch of stuff. We played some extra toms in the live room. We did some stick clicks in the live room to overdub it. And at the very end of this song, if, I wish I had the drum solo tracks because there's like a ton of shit. We went to a stairwell and recorded me hitting like industrial pipes, drumming on the stairs, drumming on the railing. I hit some floor toms in that room. like Just like a ton of shit. And then we, like, we went back in and kind of like made the beat. So we just mm. took all these samples and then overdubbed it over what I'm playing drum-wise. And it was, like, the first time I had a chance to, like, build an intricate drum track. I'd never done that in a studio before. I was like, this is sick. I love doing yeah. this. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. No, like, building, like, overdubs in general are such, like, a cool little accessory. And, I mean, you know, you can't really play them live, but... Uh, I found the way to fill it in live, like, you know, with the right parts. Um, we played that song on tour with... Uh, We've done it on a couple tours, but we did it on tour with uh, Trophy Eyes in 2017. So it was the end of the year that came out. And Head North was on that tour. And on the last night of tour, we were playing it. Uh, ben from Head North brought like a bunch of drums out on stage mid-song. And, and did the overdubs with, with me. And That's on the end, so was like, kind of drumming really hard with it. And we got like really fucking wild. Like We like <laughs> both kind of went off over the end. It was it was like the most one of the most fun I've ever had That's, playing that's on a t- stage. <laughs> 
That was a, you said the trophy eye store. Yeah, or yeah, the trophy eye store. Was that was that U.S. or U.S. Okay, yeah. cool. That's that's badass. You said it was the last day. Uh, that's tight, dude. Um, great band too. I I love trophy. Yeah, eyes. they're awesome. Um, really fun guys. You guys have only you've toured with you've only toured with them once, just right? once. Yeah. Okay, cool. I get them and Knuckle Puck mixed up all the time. It was their their first U.S. headliner. That's sick. Wow, that's a that's probably really cool. Experience. Now they're selling out. I know. Huge rooms in Australia, <laughs> playing like 30,000 people. Um, so, like, moving on from that, touring on that record, um, do you notice anything different, which, other than, like, natural growth, like, touring uh, with the guys, when you guys are playing, like, uh, do things click better with this new record than with Bury Your Mind? Like, how is it touring on that record in comparison to what's past? You know, we, t- we toured a good amount on Bury Your Mind. Um and there were a lot of people that like kind of voice it like ah you know it wasn't my favorite record or, or whatever like there are certain songs off of it that were immediately slapping live like uh, Randy on the Liquor like from the Gates was doing well Burn Hill was doing well from the Gates Rinse Repeats always fun Andy and I is always a good one um, but like you know you always saw people like really asking for the Those Days Are Gone songs and <clears throat> we're like all right well, we learned from Barrier Mind like what our fans liked about it what they didn't we know we're going to the next record. And like right when like we're about to start touring what's past is prologue and like we're we're starting to play the singles and the records about to come out, all of a sudden like people are tweeting us being like, Hey, like are you guys ever gonna play Hope Spot live? <laughs> and I'm like, We've been playing that for like three fucking years, man. And like all of a sudden, like it just took a little while, but like right when What's Past is Prologue came out, like we started seeing like sales and bear your mind go up, people were requesting those songs, and I'm like, When the fuck were you two years ago? Exactly. It it just goes that way. Like, not every band puts out a record and, like, in the first month, everyone hears it and they're like, I like it, I don't like it, whatever. It takes time. It takes time to sit. Yeah. And we were still a growing band. I mean, we were still, you know. Which, like, Those Days Are Gone has taken so long to sit, too. It's, uh, it just makes sense. It was the same way, but Those Days Are Gone, like, it had, like, a small, you know, cult following the first couple of years. You know, the, 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 our emo heads were super into it, but like I would say that like until a barrier mind came out, it other than two beers in, the rest of it wasn't really catching on. Yeah. But by the time barrier mind came out, we were touring on it. People were going off for of those songs, and then two years later, like it's like on a, a delayed cycle, if you will. But what's past has definitely been the most successful release out of the gate. People knowing the songs, um, sure. you know, we were able to put that out, and we did from the we released the first single while we were on. Uh, we were in Europe with the Wonder Years, and we got home, put out a couple more singles, and we went straight out of the gate the week that record got released. We went out for seven weeks straight yeah. on two different tours. Yeah. So we were able to kind of see the immediate response, yeah. like kind of like just showing up. And like, all right, record's out today. What do you guys all think? And people were singing some of the songs and shit already. And I was like, oh, okay, that's really cool. Like it came out a day ago, and you're singing these songs that you learned 24 hours ago. That's yeah, that's like there's no probably no better situation to see that immediate oh, it's uh, so draw sick. record. It's that's so badass. Sick. Yeah. Which it's a perfect segue too. Let's talk about what's past prologue. Um, cool. Like I said, uh, probably my favorite free throw record to date. Um, you really got comfortable on this record, and it shows like it shows everywhere. There's just so much. Like I wrote almost three pages worth of stuff to talk about on and I'm definitely not going to hit all of it of course but um, my personal favorites um, The Fix Is In is one oh, of my man. favorites Let's that that it. song almost didn't make the record really yeah we wrote like we wrote it 
before the studio, but like it wasn't finished. Like, and we're like, it'll come together in the studio. Like, we'll get there. Like, you know, we'll, we'll work with Brett. Brett will hear some stuff. And we, we tried a lot of shit to make it not sound repetitive and keep having that same looping guitar part over and over. And like, with the build up. And we, we wanted that build up with the tempo change. We didn't know how the end was going to come in. And like, it just never felt complete. And it didn't work until that second kind of verse kind of came in. And we changed the drums up completely. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I you do change like, from like halftime to full time and stuff. Yeah, uh, until was that, that was that what it was that made that, it work. Yeah, literally until we decided to go like a full time beat in that second half of the verse. We we're like, this is too re- repetitive. This is stupid. We're we're over this shit. just like the last second like squeeze it out like okay yeah this will work and i think the reason why Corey was pushing us really hard to figure it out because he had some really killer lyrics written to it yeah no it's a badass song and and it was like the 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 whole record is a a part the the last part of a trilogy essentially story-wise and it was like that song lyrically was a the turning point for him or a big turning point and he's like i have to have this in here like these words have to be on the record i can't believe that was even up for debate that it was like you know, this might not make it. Make yeah. It on. I don't know if we could play it live. I don't know if any of us remember oh, yeah. how to do it. <laughs> we, we, we like, we like wrote, rewrote parts left and right in the studio. We're like, all right, it worked. Cool. That's fine. It's out there everywhere for eternity. Yeah. And that's all that matters, uh, if anything. But it's like just um, that, that halftime to full time transition and how perfect the rhythm is in that. I know I keep saying how, I, I keep emphasizing how perfect um, you and Justin mesh well. But on this record, it like really shows. Like, you guys were comfortable off the bat, you said, but in this, it's just like a next level thing. Like uh, the rhythm is just mm-hmm. uh, so intertwined, which is something I really love uh, on the whole record even. Um, see, I s- talked about State of the Basement a little bit. Um, That's a personal favorite for me. I'm very, cl- I'm very near and dear to that song. That song came out, uh, we, we had practice <clears throat> one day. And Jake and I were getting there first. We're about to arrive at the practice space. And Larry calls. He was like, holy shit, guys. I'm so sorry. Uh, I had someone covering my shit to work today. They just called me. Can't make it. I have to be there in like 10 minutes. Yeah. He's like, I'm really sorry. So everyone else was already like only halfway to practice. And they just uh, um, were like, yeah, not worth it to drive all the way out. And me and Jake were kind of there already. And he's like, yeah. he's like, well, you just you want to jam anyway? Just like see what happens. And we wrote that intro he wrote that intro guitar part and we tried it like three or four different ways. And we ended up getting to that one. We're like, Ooh, that's groovy. And we ended up writing the whole song in like, I don't know, 45 minutes, essentially brought to practice the next day. And the rest has just happened. I Dude, love that song. I, I was a uh, one note I made is it's like in retrospect to the rest of the record, it's kind of like you, you held, you had to hold back in a way. I it's feel the like. simplest song on the record. Drum yeah. Was it tough to hold back after Everything else that you played? No, I, I wanted the drums to be that way for that song. Okay. I wanted it to just be like a four to the floor, like just groovy song. Yeah, that's sick. Yeah, that was, uh, that's another one of my personal favorites <coughs> in that. Um, yeah, it was like one note I had is like it must have been less pressure, but like 
uh, an equally good song in comparison to the rest of the record. It's just like, you know, you're not pressured to do the most on that. It's just like a good song by itself, different vibe, a different speed for it. Um, let's see, we talked about the fixes in. Uh, Perfect Driftwood. Um, so many fills that acts in guitars. Yeah, we we like uh, Larry started ripping the opening riff. Yeah, he had it right, right in practice. I'm like, ah, that's fucking cool. And we're like, we haven't done a song in a long time that's just like riffy all over the place and just like busy. Totally busy, yeah. And um, that's a personal favorite for me because the beginning of the song is, uh, I guess, like, like whatever you want to call it, that that riff theme that kind of comes back yeah. around. Uh, it's changing meter every other measure, so it's three four five four three four five four three four five four. Let's listen to that real quick. And then the verse comes back, and then six eight. Six eight, really? I didn't catch that the first time. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't that didn't hit my ears. That's insane. Uh, but the use of hi hats on the fills too, kind of. Uh, it, I, I wrote it snaps you into each transition that mm. you go into, and that's like one of the reasons why it's my personal favorite. You have so much pocket on hi hats. Thank which you. Which I think is uh, it was really the cool. it was the sixteen inch uh, K lights <laughs> that did it for Dude, me. Dude, you can't keep off of them. Honestly, yeah, I know. I you just want to hit them all the time. Uh, which we'll talk about gear and a feel, but um, those 16 inch hats, man, you can hear them from a mile away. Oh, yeah. You know exactly. so fucked up <laughs> it's it was, was that tough was that tough to do it was one of those things where like larry wrote the riff first yeah not knowing that it was in different meter yeah so we didn't realize it until like we started writing to that riff and we're like oh cool but this is this is sick let's go for it all right kevin count us in i was like how do i count this how shit, do you <laughs> want me to count it and they're like what do you mean i was like well i can count it three clicks in like one two three da -da 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 -da. yeah so we were doing that for a while, and then we got in the studio, and he's like, well, I don't really want to put, like, a, a alternating meter click in. What if I just put steady quarter notes with yeah. no no up and down click? It's probably click, the easiest way to And you guys just that. play to it. Yeah. And so now when we play live, I just count with four clicks, and we go into it. Yeah. Um, and, there's just, no, and there's no four on that whole song, which yeah, is no. ridiculous. It's, that's what I'm saying. It might, like, that wasn't hard at all to, like, grasp. I think right. we're such idiots. We didn't know what we were doing. Like, we didn't <laughs> you just even... heard the riff, and it was like yeah. that was it. Just carried it. We're so untrained musically, but it's just that we feel, just man. It. It's all feel. Yeah, you know? it's all that feel, was that baby. was a cool one because it literally was all feel. When we wrote it, and that's so sick. Um, that that's like another personal favorite. We actually wanted that to be a single, like a lead single or something like that, and the label wasn't into it. So we convinced them to let us put a, a, a video out for it as a later push in the cycle. Yeah, and to date, it's my favorite video we've ever done. Yeah. I love the song. It's fun as fuck to play live. It sounds uh, stressful, but like, dude, if you wrote it, I mean, that's probably really fun. It, it, my mind couldn't keep up with the fact that it was three to five to three uh, to five to six. six. That's which is like technically you could say like three to five three, back to three. I mean, yeah. it's just in three, but yeah. um, that five just catches me off guard. And uh, dude, another one, like moving on, the very next song, Mono Luna. 
Monte Luna? That's my favorite drum part I've ever written. That's it right there. Motion City? Because uh, that's what I caught from it. Everything is all right. No, I was listening to a lot of the killers. Oh, shit. And okay. Roddy Venucci does a lot of really cool beats where he's like, he doesn't drive off the hi-hat. The hi-hat almost gives more of an accent and is, he does a lot of Tom fill. Yeah. I was like, God, I really want to do a song that kind of works like the where the groove is around the kit. But not that typical pop punk, like, like you know, like just off the floor, Tom. I'm like, how do I do something a little bit different here? And um, that that song was fun because every other free throw song starts with a riff, and everyone matches it, right? Yeah. I wrote the drums first at practice, and I was playing it, and someone just started playing to me. Yeah. And then everyone else kind of came in with it, and I was like... Oh, that's never happened. That's so fun. Like, <laughs> You're like, yeah, I, it's my time I to shine, bro. I wrote the riff today. <laughs> this is my riff. I kind of consider it like almost like the weight on your chest of this record. Yeah. Um, it was like your time to shine, kind of. Not time to shine, but like, kind of like the vibe. Like It's very yeah. four-to-the-floor chorus and stuff. Um, and we were actually going to have the song, like just do that whole part and then like kind of fade out. And then Corey's like, no, let's come in really heavy at the end. And we wrote like, so we wrote the whole song minus the outro, yeah. and then Larry or uh, Corey's like, "Let's put a really big halftime ending on this." It and is so, like, a lot of space too. Yeah, it's sick. It's just like a lot airy. of space. It was supposed yeah. to be shorter. Yeah, and we were like, "No, nah, let's go 14. <laughs> let's go fourteen. It works great too. I mean, like with his uh, with his lyrical content on the song too. It's just continuing to build this story or wrap it up more so. And yeah, uh, yeah, I I loved that song. Listening to it. Uh, you know, at the at the house when you guys first got done and stuff. I can cut this out if you want, but like yeah, like mixing to like like when you showed me those first mix or Larry showed me the first uh the tracking and stuff, mm-hmm. I was like, dude, this song is killer. Like What was cool on this record, too, was since we had more time, we were in the studio for like 23 days. Yeah. And so this one was done song by song versus part by part. So, like, it, A, kept my attention span up because I was recording, you know, a song a day versus two days, all the songs and getting out of there. Yeah. Um, we had more time to explore ideas. So, like, versus, like, getting a kid set up, getting sounds, like, all right, let's do the whole record. It was like, all right, cool, and this song, let's do it, let's run through it once. And it was like, all right, what snare are you thinking? All right, cool, well, we want to do the toms on this. And so this one was fun. It was like, let's get like a five and a half, four by 14, like old, like Rogers, uh, like stainless steel shell. Let's do, um, let's put like, a, like a, a fat ring on it. And we taped a little paper towel at the top to really muffle it. And then we got like this 18 inch. You know, old Ludwig WFL floor tom with some paper towel on it, and like it's all fat. It's oh, so it's fat. fat everywhere. <laughs> it's just but it was the hardest it. thing in the world because the the verse is so delicate and fat, and the chorus is so like hard drivey. Yeah. We didn't want to do the 
choruses with a different snare and stuff because we didn't want it to sound different. So I had to learn how to play through a drivey part and not lay into it because it would have sounded like shit. So it was like very challenging in the sense that I wasn't playing anything challenging. It was like I had to change my touch and my stroke and all that stuff. Like yeah, because there's uh, playing with like the technique big fats. essentially. Yeah the, yeah, the big fat snare rings. Any, anyone who's seen me play drums just knows I just swing for the fences. And yeah. so it was the first time I had to be like, oh, I can't do that. You got to be delicate. Almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was cool. You really have to sit back on that, yeah. dude. I th- always thought that was. Um, I feel like we talked about this before, but I thought that was your Black Beauty on that song. No, but no. an old Rogers. I think it was a Rogers. Yeah, it was like a Four, five and a half by five, fourteen. Yeah, that's sick. Um, yeah, I love the different feel on drums for that song. Which um, did you try out a lot of things for different songs gear wise throughout that recording cycle? Yes and no. I mean, uh, the whole record is done with an eighteen by twenty. 18 by 24? 16 by 24. Uh, old Ludwig kick. Yeah. Um, a 13 by 8 CNC rack tom. And then I had a 16-inch CNC floor tom that matched the rack. And I also used an 18-inch WFL on a lot of stuff. Really fat. Like, it almost sounded dead Big. in the room when you hit yeah. it. And then you hit, heard under a mic. You're like, ah, oh, it's so fucking sick. It's always how it is. Yeah. There's like <laughs> five snares on the record. Symbols barely changed. I know you use metal and wood snares yeah. kind of all over the place. Yeah. 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 Kind of every song we kind of, it, it was mostly changing the snares out, but it was yeah. like, all right, let's, what are we thinking for this song? What snare do you want? Like that, that to me is the yeah. tone that people hear the difference in. Yeah, absolutely. Tom's wood, between, Tom's. between wood and uh, metal snares. It's like, for sure. Like I wanted big, big cracks on some songs. I want some warm songs. I wanted some fat songs. Yeah. Um, which like this rec this record does kind of tell a story in itself. It's like you don't want the same drums on the whole thing. It's like you're trying yeah. to you're trying to tell some like even from a, which is what I really like about it too is like, you're you know while Corey is telling a song from his lyrical perspective, you're adding or telling a story. Sorry, not a song from his lyrical perspective. You're adding to that on drums, which in in, in a way I feel like is a such a challenge to do is to like add to that, not take away, but also like still rock the fuck out the whole time. You know, truthfully, there are very few free throw songs I've written drums to after I've heard the lyrics. Really? Very few. Yeah. So it just kind of works in the moment and it just, Corey kind of knows what he wants to say on a record. And then we write a bunch of songs and he's like, Oh, it's a perfect song to tell this story. Oh, it's a perfect song to tell this. And yeah, he starts kind of just writing those lyrics. in. That's awesome. Um, so I don't know. It's weird. Like a lot of people write the song with you know lyrics and guitar first, and you get the mood, and then you go from there. But he gets a chance. It almost makes it interesting. He gets a chance to like take songs that present a different mood than what he's conveying. Yeah, that's interesting. And then sometimes totally opposite. Like sometimes he just he's like, oh, it's a perfect song to match this mood. Yeah. Like corners dilemma is chaotic as fuck. Right? It's stressful. That song's literally about being stressed in a social situation yeah and it just kind of fit that after the fact like yeah he wrote he he wrote lyrics i think those might have been the first might have been the first lyrics he wrote to the record that and you no anaconda vice those two he wrote very quickly he just knew exactly what he wanted to write anaconda vice is a fucking banger man that's such a groovy song the fun one (laughs) Like, like all of these too i mean i think the last one that I wrote about too, uh, 
what's past this prologue, you get back to that technical aspect. Um, and I wrote this note and, uh, I'll, I'll let you kind of like my vibe for this whole record is, um, and, and I'd I'd love for you to, to go off of this, riff off of this, but like, I feel like the first 20 seconds, um, they lock you into the entirety of each song, which is what you want in a record. That's what you want in each song. You want those first 20 seconds to be a defining moment and you want the person who's listening to be like, this is interesting. This has my attention. I'm going to listen to the rest of it. But your drumming is gripping people into that first 20 seconds. I feel like for the majority of this record. Um, Cer- so I considered it like your thesis statement Yeah. Is in each song is just what, what your decision-making on the drums is. I, I actually, it's an interesting point. I never thought of it that way. Um, cause there are a couple songs on the record that like drums don't come in for a minute. Yeah. But yeah, if you hear the first 10 bars of drumming, yeah. you kind of know what you're getting yourself into on all those songs. Yeah. You get an idea of it. You're like, okay. I don't know that. I don't, I'm not sure if that makes me less creative or more creative. Dude, I don't know either, <laughs> but it's, it's something that I observed and, uh, I think it's a really cool point. I think it's, uh, it's a cool perspective to think like that, but uh, no, in its entirety, it was just like yeah. I guess you do make a statement to a song like pretty quickly on when it comes to drums. I mean, there's like those rare cases where the drums are like sitting back real quietly, and they like you know they come in yeah, real you're hard doing later. You're doing your job. Like we talked. I I'm, trying to think, I'm trying to think like back to some of my favorite drumming songs right Dude, now. Uh, and uh, like like on this record specifically, or just like uh, no, other just in general, like from other drummers. Like you know, I, I mentioned before Ronnie Venucci from the Killers is like one of my favorite fucking drummers. Hot Hot Fuss was like one of my favorite records of all time, and I'm trying to think like like open opening track. Jenny was a friend of mine, yeah, right? Yeah. Starts off with that like you know just like straight guitar part, yeah. and the next thing you hear is you're like, yeah. oh, he's gonna groove. He's gonna groove. <laughs> he's a gonna groove the whole song. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Like, he makes a point. Like Trey Cool was the same way. Yeah. You feel that that those influences are obviously shining in a scenario like this. Do you, do you feel that way? I hope so. I mean, it's not on purpose, maybe, but sometimes on purpose. There's actually a couple songs that I throw little homages to my favorite drummers. There's actually one song. Uh, it's on Randy on the Liquor. Yeah. There's a bridge uh, that's like an instrumental bridge before like the quiet bridge or whatever. Uh, that drum part was written specifically to give a tip of the hat to Travis Barker on that's Always. So sick. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. I, I love that drum part. I want to tip it, my hat to Travis for like the years and years and years of influence. This is the first like real good studio record that I'm doing. Let's like, throw why not there. throw something in there? Yeah, yeah, especially if it fits. Yeah, yeah. I wrote a song the other day has a uh, a reference to um, my favorite drummer from Nashville, Marcus Wickham, Stop. on the new early teens record. It. This <laughs> isn't about me, Kevin. <laughs> uh, tip, tip of my hat. Actually, almost I actually ripped off uh, Boston Manor accidentally the other day. Oh really? I wrote a part like, God, that's fucking sick. <laughs> and I put the new record on. I had been listening to it like all week. Dude, it just came out. Amazing. And I, I listened to this one song. I'm like, oh fuck, <laughs> oh fuck, that's George part. <laughs> and I texted him. And I was like, I ripped you off today. And he was like, so I hope you don't mind. He's like, that's hilarious. That's so all like, of our jobs, though, is to kind of rip each other off every now and then. Yeah. I mean, we're all coming up with such cool ideas. I think. Think. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to be paying 100. It's yeah, paying, paying tribute. tribute. It's not 100% originality. It's, it's setting that one single glass of wine across <laughs> the room to your friend saying thank you. 
<laughs> buying the drink, dude. No, that's um, that's sick. Okay, yeah. Which I wanted to say too. Just going in a like motorcycle real quick, which is um, your most recent song that I love the most. I love that vibe. How does it feel going that vibe? Motorcycle was like one of the most fun songs you've ever written because yeah. like we. So we hadn't written a single note together yeah. since we left the studio writing Let's Pass Prologue. So that would be end of September of 2018. Yeah. And this is now December of 2019. Because yeah. all we had done is tour. Yeah. And so like we hadn't written that. I was living elsewhere for a minute too. So like even when we weren't touring, I wasn't able to play with them. So we hadn't written anything. We got in a room like, well, I don't know. Like, what do you guys want to write? It's like, let's write, like, I don't know, like a fun fucking punk song. Yeah. And we had just gotten off tour with Newfound Glory, so we've been listening to fast punk songs, like, every single night. Yeah. And Justin wrote that intro bass line, and we're like, that's fucking sick, let's go off of that. And I think we wrote it in, like, two two practices. It was done, like, completely done. And I was like, this song is so fun. This it's is tasteful really, as fuck. It's just yeah. a fun time. It's, it's a beat, it's whatever. And then we got in the studio and like started hearing coming together like you know at right volume. And I was yeah. like, oh, this is really fucking fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's another song I think Larry showed me a demo of. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? It's this really is really fun. Cool. Like, I, I, I'd love to say, though, that that's kind of like where Free Throw is going. But yeah. at the same time, the B-side to that EP is... Tips kind are appreciated, a, which is yeah. like the opposite. It's the twinkly, mathy guitar part with like another amazing song. Yeah. Big build up, but like that, like the kind of abrupt adjustment into not a different genre, but a different, like uh, a different sound. Not entirely either, but it's like that was going to be my next question is, uh, which I kind of already know the answer to. But if you're allowed to say, do you feel like you guys are uh, trying to vibe more off of that? That that sound we love, yeah, we would love to write more of those upbeat punky songs. Yeah. Basically, like when we write, we try not to like write to serve a purpose. Like, oh, I want to write more punk songs. Let's do that because then it sounds forced and it's just not. Yeah. You know, sometimes it, it works. Sometimes you're like, I want to write like a really twinkly song today, and you can do it. But like, it can sound forced a lot of times. But our goal is let's write songs that are gonna be really fucking fun to play on stage. It's a good goal to have. Yeah, because yeah. we know the songs off records that we like playing live, and there's songs we're like, oh, that's not going to be fun to play live. And we want less of those. We want less songs that we don't want to play yeah, live. Yeah, like less of like record-only songs and more of like yeah, songs that. that are just high energy. Like, yeah. The dream is to be able to play an entire record straight through live, right? Like you have to do record shows, album shows. And I want to do an album show and enjoy every single minute. Like there's er- songs from the early catalog that when people are like, we really need you to play this. And we're like, <laughs> uh, like, so yeah, how are we gonna do this? Live? Yeah, this yeah. last this last tour with the Wonder Years we played it. Now are pissed. Yeah. I think for the first time since I joined the band. because yeah. we hate that song. Yeah, but people wanted it. We've been asking for it, years, so. and like it wasn't like there was a whole room of people like floor we played it, but there was like you know a good handful of a dedicated fans who were very appreciative of us finally putting it in for sure. And we swapped it out for Pallet Town, and the fun thing is we played Pallet Town like every tour before that. And then people show up and like been asking for an hour piss. They've been asking for it, and we played it. They're like, then, "What happened to like, Town? Hey, what about Palatown? Yeah. <laughs> like, God damn it! You man. can't win. No, you no. absolutely can't win. No. So then, then that's what it comes down to. If we can just write songs that we enjoy playing live, it doesn't matter what people ask for because yeah. we're gonna enjoy doing it. Yeah. 
and you specifically, those are songs that you enjoy. You enjoy having that higher energy, yeah. uh, a lot of stuff to play, a lot of stuff to throw in there. And well, we also, I'm sure every band's writing process is different. A lot of bands will like, you know, demo stuff at home and put like fake drums to it and stuff. We write every song, all five of us know. in the room, Dude. all playing. Such a cool vibe. Yeah. To but that. That's well, awesome. so you're, we're playing it live essentially, right? So yeah. like, you know, if we're not vibing all five of us together, enjoying what's happening, we scratch it. So we kind of start with that idea. It's like you're playing your song that you wrote. It's different when somebody writes a song and they're like, this is what I want you to play to this. This is the idea. But you guys are coming up with that from scratch, kind of. That shit's always like, so interesting to me. If you're listening yeah. to the um, the transatlanticism demos. Of course. Or, uh, I haven't listened to the demos. But so if you go on Spotify, uh, it's probably elsewhere too, but I've seen it on Spotify. They have all the transatlanticism and they release a special edition where at the end it's every demo for every song or the demo for each song and some of them sound like oh this is what the song sounds like on record just not quite as produced and then there's songs like like tra- the song transatlanticism yeah. is done it sounds like a postal service song really? it's like keyboard drum beats and like synth pads not and then, as like airy and, and then shit. ben gibber yeah. just singing over it yeah. with no build-up really like, like it's the just whole, like the, flat the whole, the whole way yeah so like he wrote it that way and i could never imagine like being in a room and hearing this like flat like like R&B beats kind of thing sounding with Ben Gibbard's voice. I mean, like, oh, this is going to be the most epic song of all time because it just yeah, sounded like, no. d- like low. Which is nothing like what it is on that record at all. Yeah, yeah, that's... But then you imagine he came to the band with this and they're like, oh, cool. And he was like, no, no, no. It's going to be epic. You know? It's going to be cool. I've been about it, that scenario where like people are like, no, 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 no it's going to be cool, I promise. And you're like... Well, you just got to... Pro- like, like, you know, trust. Gotta trust your bandmates. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard thing to do sometimes, but I never had that opportunity as a drummer to be like, no, 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 I promise it's going to be sick in the studio. They're like, you're playing the part in front of me right now. It sucks. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) a little bit of cool. That's another like point, um, which we'll be, we're getting close to about wrapping up, but like, um, got a couple more points, but yeah, no, that one, uh, being in the studio and being like, I have an idea Trust me. Do you get to uh, do those a lot when when you're recording with Free Throw, or every it- every once in a while, I'll have an idea, and I'll you know be like, hey, we should try this, and you kind of look at the room, and everyone's kind of like looking at me like, what, dude? And I'm like, no, no, no I think it'll be cool. Yeah. I'd say like for every ten times that happens, four of them land. Yeah. I think it's pretty That's good percentage. That's a good percentage. Yeah. A good percentage. That's an amazing percentage. <laughs> I don't always have bad ideas. No, for sure. But I mean, but, it's like, it's your voice. I too, get a lot yeah. of times that I get like the, guys, we should do this. It's like, Kevin, it's not 2003 email anymore, man. Yeah. This isn't a fucking Taking Back Sunday song. Influences are shining, man. I was like, but I love Taking Back Sunday. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. That's, uh, no, dude, the fucking, uh, the writing process and stuff too is, uh, for me personally, it's like, you want to be that's a sick scenario is like you guys write and you practice together you write the songs together you know they may come up with the riffs in their own time and stuff but you are like fleshing out like uh the meat and potatoes together dude the coolest part about my band is it's like us five till we die yeah. like there's no part of this band that's like oh well it's like kind of their thing and it's kind of our thing and then we do this together but we do this separate like it's like we get in a room five of us we write it we get in a room, five of us, we record it, we get it in a van, five of us. We play it live. Play it live. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Like, we fucking honestly. hate acoustic sessions because <laughs> it's like, well, who's going to play this part? Who's going to do this? And it's like, 
get all weird. Yeah. And then I'm like, I'm never playing a fucking Cajon. Yeah, so no, get, I didn't, get out of here with that shit. I didn't, I didn't bring up the reimagined EP for it. Like, we actually, that was a really fun time. Man. Oh yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, dude. dude fucking let's were, talk about it. Those were fun. Um, <laughs> Cause that was the label's idea. And we were like, I guess. Yeah. Like we'll do it. And it was originally like a do an acoustic EP. Yeah. And Corey's like, I don't really want to just do like our songs. Like, to me, nothing's worse than, like, I'm not going to say we're a pop punk band, but, like, we, we, we fall in the general idea of pop punk. Yeah, for sure. Nothing's worse scene, than a pop punk song played exactly the way it's full band, but it's on acoustic guitar. Nothing's worse. Yeah. There is nothing fucking worse with, like, a small handful of songs serving themselves well. To but it. it is also so hard to reimagine a song, though, once it's already there, to, and to do it justice like It's that tough because well. you're married to the part, and so it was cool – Especially like doing that right before we were starting to write what's past this prologue. It got us to like sort of like rethink how we were approaching all of these songs and like rework them. So this was a very, 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 very special EP for me because the label's like, well, the budget's small. We want it done quickly, digital only. Yeah. And I'm like, what can you do with this amount of money? And I was like, well, there's a couple of studios around here, but like, we wanted to have a little bit of help getting direction. So I got to call my best friend in the entire world, Jack Mason. We played in a my first touring band together for years. We've been writing music in high school together for years. Known him since we were like fucking 10. And he works for Spotify now. He's, a, he's an engineer for the Spotify singles. I was like, hey, Jack, you just like record bands at Spotify all the time now, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, do you want to produce something again? He's like, hell yeah. I was like, cool. We're going to fly to Nashville. You're going to come stay at my apartment. We're going to have two days, and you're going to – one pre-production day and then two days in the studio, and we're going to reimagine four songs, and you're also going to help us rewrite Same Drugs, <laughs> and it would be great. He was like, oh, uh. okay. <laughs> we were in the studio two days from 10 a.m. to 2.30 in the morning. Good God. And I think we, like, recorded the last part of Same Drugs at, like, 1.55 a.m., like right when and then you should have called it like three hours. Yeah, yeah, it was fucking awesome though. And like getting to like, some of them I'm like okay with, but like the funnest one for me, I think I love the Andy and I version on here. Yeah. But Weak Tables, it's the first song I wrote when I was joined Free Throw, and we played it for a year and a half before we even went into the studio for Bear Your Mind. Yeah. Got to the studio, we were already tired of that song. So we've been playing it live for a year and a half. So then. We, we went from being a faster, more kind of like aggressive song yeah. to Brett going, God, this is kind of like a Pixie song, dude. Let's dial it back. I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah, so the original, you know, recorded version of this, Brett made us dial it back even from where we originally wrote it and said, it's like a Pixie song. Let's like get a kind of groovy and like drug kind of infused and like laid back, whatever. And then we dialed it back even more for this one. It's like that third version of it. For, That's for us. Yeah. In this part, we have to do like the little. Ah, with the ooze and the claps and stuff. I don't know. Did you have a lot of say in um, the production of that? Because like it's a, you know th- a, a, in general, there's not a lot of drums. Like you well, play a little bit on yeah. Same drugs, I mean, we we said we didn't want to just make an acoustic EP, right? So there's almost no acoustic on it. It's a mostly clean guitar with a lot of like really cool spacey effects. Yeah. But we wanted drums to be a part of it and percussion to be a part of it. And like I said before, I play at one volume and one speed. It's like it's like oh, gas pedal to the metal. So like an EP like this is super challenging, but so rewarding when you get feeling right. Yeah. Jack was very helpful for that. But like I think the most interesting one I did on here was um, 
Cal Ripken. That's got to be like a tough task in itself. It's though, learning after. how to be so simple, <laughs> but so effective at the same time. And I want to bring up a conversation we had about uh, a while back when I was over at your house about death cap and how it's like being so simple, but being effective. Dude, death cap has some of my favorite drum parts in the fucking world. So <laughs> this is the moment I realized like, I have been listening to Death Cab for years, and Transatlanticism is like in my like top three favorite records of all time. Yeah. There isn't a bad song on that record. There are like very few that I say this about, but it's a perfect album. Yeah. It's not a bad song on it. There's not a bad moment on it. Yeah. And so you know, you you see like you know, uh, DW puts out like an ad, or Zildjian puts out an ad, or like you know, like oh, like you know, these are our new whatever, whatever, and here's the drummer from this band playing it, and he's like always like doing something intricate, or like riffing super hard, or like oh, that yeah, shreds. Zildjian was putting out the um, what are those the the uh, is it the Avita series the no like the like the no label old yeah. school style like symbols. like minimal lathe yeah. yes yeah yeah, yeah yeah so they were putting those out and they made an ad for it and they're like you know the new Avita symbols from Zildjian like as played by I'm just blanking on his name from Death Cab for Cutie right and they cut to him like playing it in the, playing it and he's playing just uh, Death in the Interior Decorator yeah. The beach is just like as he right? would play it live. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so simple. And like, this is like the symbols played as, and I'm like, this guy could have done anything like jazzy and church stuff. <laughs> and he plays the simplest fucking beat. Cause that's him. Yeah. But he also does shit that you're like, that's the simplest beat in the world. And then you listen to it close. You're like, dude, that's not easy at all. You ever listen to uh, the song, you know, the album Plans by them? There's a song at the very, very, very end of the record. Uh, is it? Yeah, it's the third last song, What Sarah Said. Yeah. The very end of that? All right, he's playing Rye, he's playing Snare. Yeah. I, I, I'm convinced he played the, he overdubbed the drums because I don't know how you do this snare part and this You've Rye part. You've told me about this before, it's too. Yeah fucked <laughs> and he, it's it's not overdubbed he actually yeah, plays yeah, yeah. it live and it sounds so simple it's just like you know like, like a little like build-up thing right on the ride and the snare like, you're like oh yeah, that's yeah, cool yeah. that's easy and you're like no 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 no. he's doing like 16 with polyrhythm on the left hand he's doing a 16 different 16 note polyrhythm with the right hand yeah and he's like is he doing like like buzz rolls too on both yeah and then throwing like a little like kick pattern in the middle and then accenting with his hi-hat, too. Like, but it's, like, so gentle, you're like... Oh, my God. And, like, at first glance, if you were, like, blaring it over your speakers or something, you'd just be like, no, nah, this isn't... Yeah. Never know. But it's easy. I was driving back from Fest, like, three years ago with... Um, I actually... We had Eamon from Holy Pinto staying with us after Fest, and so I rode in his car with him while the band was in the van. Yeah. And we were talking about drums. We got in an argument of plans versus transatlanticism. Right. He's like staunch plans. I'm staunch transatlanticism. <laughs> I was like, give me one example of why plans is better. And he's like, listen to the last fucking minute of what Sarah said. And he played it. I was like, holy oh. shit, <laughs> you're right, dude. <laughs> no, it's like a that shit blows my not, my my mind. I like, but si- another example of him, simple yet effective. Yeah, dude. Transatlanticism. The whole drum part to that song is quarter notes. Yeah, ride snare kick drum. 
find another drummer that can play quarter notes for three and a half minutes and gradually get louder and keep it perfectly in time. Yeah, most drummers I know are like super fucking impossible. It's not possible. It's like so much focus. Yeah, that's got to be like jazz chops. That's like the only. Uh, that's the only excuse I would have for that. It's just like studying jazz. It teaches you to like be able to play incredible parts at low volumes. There's got to be. I mean, I don't know much about it, him. It's, as re- a drummer, it's really good control. Yeah, that's what it is. That takes no, a lot I have of time. Of it. No, 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 no. <laughs> me neither. It's but, but like yeah, like going going balls to the wall all the time. It is uh very interesting to like sit back and actually appreciate drummers like that. that do, you think, just, do you think me and you are gonna like hang up from this podcast and like immediately go to our kits and be like, all right, I'm gonna play for an hour <laughs> at like thirty percent and play only polyrhythms and see I'm if I can gonna control like, myself. I'm just gonna do like double stroke rolls, like super quiet until uh I can like work my way up and be satisfied that it's uh just as good as yeah. that. I can't I, I can't like one of my biggest flaws too. I'm sorry to go off the record, but it's like um, being able to. Um, oh, this is off control. the record. This is on the record, but it's <laughs> off the record. Uh, <laughs> is this off the record? But uh, this is going to be on the recording. But this is off the record of you know mainly just talking uh, about like your stuff. But like for me personally, like the hardest thing uh, is the control of practicing and like, you know, it takes so much time and effort to be able to find the finesse of, you know, playing dynamically, playing dynamically is such a hard thing to do when you're in a punk band or a hardcore band, whatever. But it's like, God, they can make or break a song. Exactly. They can totally make or break it. It, Do do you practice? Like, do you practice like not playing your band songs or like other songs? Do do, do you like practice your, your strokes um, and your rudiments and do you practice like, work like weird shit me personally um i try to every single time i sit down and i'm seriously practicing i try to learn another new thing like watch a video watch some dude play this crazy fill it's like i want to learn how to play that and then like not necessarily like apply that immediately into what i'm writing but it has taught me great stuff like different six stroke roles and um I asked you that. I had this conversation with Mike Kennedy from the Wonder Years, like yeah. multiple fucking times. And he's like, when you're like behind your kit, just in a, alone in the room, he's like, do you play free throw songs? Yeah. I was like, yeah, all the time. And he's like, I he goes, I can't tell you the last time I played a Wonder Years song at home. <laughs> I was like, why? He goes, it's not fucking fun to play pop punk at home. I don't want to get stoned and play pop punk. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I guess you're it, right. It's kind of boring. I was like, yeah, I want to like move my f- my floor tom to the left and take my rack tom off and put like a like a weird trashy symbol in the middle and just like just start playing around and see what noise come out and I was like that's probably why you're better than me <laughs> dude i want to <laughs> say though yourself. that like mike kennedy is definitely one of those people where it's like um he's been playing that genre of music for so long i feel like any weird obscure crazy fucking thing he does is probably so much fun to him so much more fun than like dude for a you know, sitting in front of a drum kit with uh, a normal tom floor kick setup, like the same snare you've been using for like what the past three years, the same yeah. cymbal setup. But you you can it's tell like, too. A like their newer their last record has some of the most interesting drum shit on in the world. It's line. amazing. But also yeah. their like burst and decay stuff. Like yeah. we were talking about stripping back your EPs and you know like whatever and taking your songs and revisiting them. 
he's really good at reapproaching them percussive wise. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm not. But yeah. So thank you for being uh being my pilot episode. It was it's really sick. It is an honor to be your first, Marcus. <laughs> my very first. Uh no, it's seriously sick. I've been wanting to I've been excited about this project. Uh I've been it's been uh compartmentalized in my mind for so long and I know when we were on tour I was talking to you yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like uh, all you needed was like a little thing like COVID to happen, you know, really let you get off the ground. A lot of time on my hands, man. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of time. And Shouldn't joke about that, but stay, yeah. but stay, staying busy is uh, always been an easy thing for me. So it was like, oh, I have time for this now. Yeah, of course. So, uh, no, it's really sick to see it actually kind of coming to life. What's your favorite quarantine activity so far? What have you done? Sleeping. Does it count? <laughs> I no. actually really like playing basketball now. I'm enjoying. It. I've gotten better. Uh, we've, we've balled a little bit. Yeah, it's been fun. I pressure you to post up on me. It's pretty yeah, sick. Yeah, uh, I've been enjoying that. Um, I don't know. Now I got the studio set up. I've been mixing a little bit, playing video games. I honestly like grocery shopping. Dude, me too. It's, it's kind of fun. It's kind of the first time ever that I've actually pressured myself into going to the store and buying food for myself and forcing myself to cook and yeah. feed myself. That's like the name of the game for me on this one. Has been like, I've uh, I've seen like so many things. I'm like, oh man, that'd be cool if I could like fix that or like clean that up myself, or, like build yeah. that myself. And I'm like, yeah, you built a you bar, know, man. You know what, dude? I'm bored. Fuck it. Let's yeah, just exactly, do it. Dude. That's been my attitude. I'm bored. Fuck it. I'm just gonna do stuff. You built a bar in your house. It did do that. Which in quarantine. I didn't see any of that happen. I just showed up one day and it was, it was like, a bar. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, this sick. feels good, man. This feels good. It's like I'm. It's like I'm back at Duke's or I something. I can't go to a bar, so I need to yeah, exactly. build my own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Dude. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Seriously. Uh, it was fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, it was easy, but it was uh, interesting. And, like, another thing, too, I want to say is, like, when I do post this, when it's edited and we post it, um, big thing that I want is, like, for p- other drummers, young drummers, to hear this. Hopefully, it reaches drummers who want to learn. Or like free throw and are trying to start bands themselves or are in bands themselves and yeah. just need more advice. Yeah. Um, and I would, I, I mean, this is for me and it's also for them. I like to learn from other players. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things to do. Because the only way to get better. There, yeah. You got to talk to people. Mm-hmm. You can't just, I mean, you can. There's some legends out there that march to their own beat and just quite literally. Just watching people too. Exactly. From a yeah. distance. From <laughs> safe distance, <laughs> from a safe distance, especially now. Okay, but uh, yeah, is there anything that like this is like the cheesy part? But like, is there anything that you'd want to say for somebody who's listening, who's trying to play, uh, get up to the same level that you've seen yourself at the past few years? Let's see. Well, I think the biggest thing, just if we're if we're talking from my personal experience, the most important thing I learned is. Uh, Say yes to any opportunity handed to you. Um, you never know where it's going to lead to. There's a couple times where I made a couple decisions, you know, joining bands or playing or musically, where I'm like, that seems a little funky, but fuck it, I'll go do it. And the worst thing that happens is you go and you play with someone for one day and it's not good. You're like, all right, I'm out. But like, you learn from all those little experiences and you never know where it's going to le- take you. Um, and, you know, the. I got a call from Larry at fucking 
11 p.m. one time, asked if I wanted to move to Nashville, and I was like, fuck it, yeah, sure. And yeah. here I am. I'm, you know, I've toured in uh, multiple countries for five years and done, written a bunch of records, and it's been awesome. That's awesome. And I'm still doing it. Yeah. Fucking old That's shit. That's good advice. Say yes. Say yes. Do it. What's the worst that could happen? You what, know? What's the worst? What, well, <laughs> <laughs> don't get in a random van. Well, yeah, but not. Unless you know people in that van. You know, within context. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, um, thank you if you're tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, once again, this is the Alternative Upstage. I'm here with Kevin, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you.